many theologians and historians believe that that was in fact the star over Bethlehem that led the uh, wise men to Bethlehem was a double planet, Saturn and Jupiter combining to form basically a double planet and, and, the, and the sharp, bright star that we're going to see tomorrow. Now, it's supposed to be cloudy in Cincinnati. I've checked the radar because I'm, I'm kind of jazzed. I know I'm a nerd, but I'm kind of jazzed about this. And uh, apparently towards Lexington and Indianapolis, it'll be a little clearer, raining in Columbus. So it looks like west or south is the way to go. But um, I'm excited because if in fact that was what the wise men saw, what a privilege for us, the only time in our lifetime that we'll be able to see what it might have been like for the wise men with the star of Bethlehem. How cool would that be? So don't forget that. Um, tomorrow, or next Sunday rather, you are in for a special treat. How many of you, um, well, all of us, the whole church did, I know, we prayed fervently when Naoma was in the hospital for Around 70 days, was that about right, Naoma? Something like that? I can't remember the amount of days exactly. But Naoma was in, in uh, just um, uh, on death's door, really. And, and God spared her, and God gave Naoma a miracle. If you want to know what a miracle looks like, you just look at Naoma Clefane, and I'm telling you, you will see a miracle. And so I praise God for that. And... Uh, Next Sunday, she's got a wonderful message she's going to bring to you and share her testimony through it all. You're not going to want to miss what God did for her and the Clefane family. Amen. Can we give God praise one more time for Naoma and what God's done for her? She'll be with us next Sunday, and it's going to be a powerful testimony. In two weeks, I know, I know you're, you are thrilled about this. I'm going to be preaching on the rewards of fasting. I know. Hold down your excitement. We'll get to the fast. Amen. We're going to celebrate Christmas right now and feast. Eat candy, pie, all you want to eat because you'll shed them off for three weeks in January. Amen. <laughs> Poke your neighbor and say the fast is coming. And it's going to be good. Amen. We're going to be fasting and praying. I believe God's got a, a great door for us. He's going to open and uh, we're going to walk through that door. We will not be in Harrison out here wandering in the wilderness forever. Amen. We will, in fact, make it to our destination and where God is leading us. I'm also going to begin a series uh, a couple weeks after that, mid-January. You are not going to want to miss it. What does the Bible say about dot, dot, dot? I did this a few years ago, and I've got all fresh messages I'm going to bring to you. Um, for example, socialism or capitalism? What does the Bible have to say about it? Now, this old Georgia boy, this, this country, God and country... Uh, American boy, you know I'm a capitalist from the word go. But what does the Bible have to say? What about, what's the difference between abortion and capital punishment? Is the Bible clear on that? I'm going to hit all the subjects most people don't want to touch on because I want you to know what the Bible has to say. I'm excited about that. It's going to be really, really good, and we'll get to that in January. But for today, I'm going to preach on a subject entitled The Cast of Christmas. Everybody say The Cast of Christmas. And I would like for you to stand for the reading of God's Word. We're going to go to Luke chapter 2. I, 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 I have a hard time not reading the Christmas story on the Sunday before Christmas. So I've got two little, one passage, Luke chapter 2, of course. And then we're going to have one verse, and then we'll go from there. Uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 1 through 20. 
And it's on the screen. And if you're watching from, welcome everyone, our online campus watching from all over. We welcome you. We love you. Thank you for being with us today. Merry Christmas. Now, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news or good tidings, in the King James Version, good news properly of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there was born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in a manger. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child, and all who heard it wondered at the things which were told by the shepherds. I love that. That's what we're supposed to do. Go tell everybody about Jesus, what we've seen and heard. Amen? Verse 19, But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart, and the shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, just as had been told them. And for one additional verse, Galatians chapter 4, 4, which fits the whole message in which I'm speaking. But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. There's a time and a place for everything with God. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the beautiful songs, your presence, Christmas. Lord, the fact that you're the reason for the season. I just thank you. We praise you. We worship you. And now, God, I pray you'd anoint me to speak forth your word for the next few moments. Anoint me to speak forth the word straight from your throne, not of my own, but every word from you, God, into our hearts. Let it be buried and, and put in the good soil of our hearts and go and bear forth fruit in our lives. Let the word explode from us, God, and in us and change us today. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. amen. Hold your Bibles up and let's boldly declare, Father, today, this week, by your grace, I'm going to be a doer of your word and not a hearer only, deceiving my own self. Now, Lord, anoint my ears, anoint my heart, anoint my spirit, my soul, my mind, and my body to receive the truth of your word. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Air high five somebody. Air high five them. Yeah.
I like to believe, I like to uh, begin this message with point number one, and that is simply this God has perfect timing. Everybody say, God has perfect timing. Now, God hadn't spoken, by the time this occurs in Luke chapter 2, God hadn't spoken basically to the children of Israel, all the world, in 400 years. I want you to think about that. There are 400 years of silence between the Old Testament and the New Testament, between Malachi and Matthew and Luke and so forth. The people were hungry to hear from God again. They were hungry to see prophecies that they had read about their entire lives come to pass and be realized. They were eagerly awaiting their coming king, thinking it could happen any moment. Similarly, they were dried up. They were desperate need of God spiritually to move for them afresh again. They needed something to happen. Think about it. No prophets for 400 years. No fresh word, 400 years. No fresh move of the Spirit, 400 years. Think about 400 years. That means many of us in our entire lifetime would load up, go to the temple, watch this, and sing songs to God and never experience His presence. Hear a, hear a message from a page that was black and white, but have never have God speak to you. Can you imagine living your lifetime like that? Not even knowing what it was like to have the presence of God move in your life. No hope for 400 years. To put that in perspective in American history, did you know that the pilgrims landed at Plymouth Rock in 1620, 400 years ago? This is the year they did that. In the span of basically all of North American history that we celebrate and know about, no move of God, nothing. Culturally, in the 350 BC, there was a man that came to this earth by the name of Alexander. He was the son of a Macedonian king by the name of Philip. We know him as Alexander the Great, and he conquered the entire world in 12 years. Why am I telling you? Is because I want to tell you about how God has perfect timing. So the people were dry. Spiritually, they needed a move of God. Spiritually, they needed God to do something in their heart. Now you have a man rising to the throne, and in 12 years, he conquers the entire known world. One of the few to do that. And under Alexander's influence, very important to notice this, the world became Greek in culture, in philosophy, in literature, institutions, art, drama, architecture, thought, and language. Language is important because the Greek language uh, was spread so widely under his realm that a common, regular, ordinary language, a style of Greek called Koine Greek, was birth in which most everybody in the whole world could speak this common Koine Greek language. It became an international language. This is very important because in 280 BC, the Hebrew scriptures were translated into Greek and it was called the Septuagint. Why am I telling you all this? Why is this important? Because now the stage was set for the entire world to be able to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ in one main language. Religiously, the Old Testament scriptures were gathered. Linguistically and culturally, the lines of communication were open. The timing was right. So you have a hungry world to hear from God again, desperate. You have a world now that speaks a common international language, or at least knows pretty well of it. Most everybody could speak, write, and read in Koine Greek. 
But then you have following him, now that you have the language and you have the hunger and all that, you have another empire rise, the Roman Empire. By the time Jesus was born, they ruled, as we all know, and conquered all the nations around them. And why is that important? Because when they conquered the entire known world, they linked together their empire with Roman roads. They had built fantastic roads for their time, day, and age. They suppressed open criminal acts and created a fine postal system. The roads made it easy to now spread the gospel of Jesus Christ from one end of the empire to the other, which was the known world. Look at the brilliance of Jesus and God. In a very reasonable amount of time, you have desperately hungry people for a move and a, and a word of God. You have a language that is basic throughout the entire known world. And now you have another empire that rises, that connects the whole world to where you could get from point A to point B at that time in a very reasonable amount of time. God had prepared the world for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Somebody say amen. And that's why history is so important. In fact, God determines who will ascend in the power of the Roman Empire. Because in your Bible, in Luke chapter 2, it calls the Caesar, one of the most powerful Caesars of all time, Caesar Augustus. For those historians that are in here, Caesar Augustus, his great, grand, his great uncle, excuse me, and adopted father was Julius Caesar. He was known as Octavian historically. He became Caesar Augustus. He taxed all the world or told all the world they had to go back to their place of birth. And so God, he didn't realize he was playing right into the hands of Almighty God. Isn't it good to know that pagan rulers and people that have no covenant with God can be used by God for the purposes of God? Somebody say amen to that. <laughs> because of that edict that all the world had to go back to their place of birth, there was a young couple that left the town of Nazareth, went 70 miles or so on an eight-day journey at the time of birth to a place, little tiny place called Bethlehem where she would birth the Savior of the world. According to Micah 5, 2, it's prophetic that that would happen, and that's exactly what happened. So why did I take the time to tell you all this? <laughs> God didn't just pick any time out of history, out of the hat, and say, well, this looks like a good time to send Jesus. Uh-uh. God prepared the known world and the hearts of people so there would be massive moves of God to the point of Acts 6, 17, 6, that says these that have turned the world upside down have now come here as well. The gospel was there, and it was ready. He chose a time when the people were spiritually dried up and in desperate need of God. How many of you need to hear? from God for your own lives. How many need to hear God do something special for you and something you're praying about? Amen. Amen. He picked a time when almost the whole world could speak, write, and read Greek so that they could understand the message spoken by everyone. He picked a time when carrying the gospel was made easy and the adequate road systems interlinking the world through Rome. My point is this. God had perfect timing then and God has perfect timing now. God has perfect timing to save your loved one. He has perfect timing to heal your body. He has perfect timing to deliver you and set you free. He has perfect timing to bring your miracle, to restore your marriage, to restore your relationships, to break that bondage. I come to preach to somebody today and tell you here at Christmas, this could be the day. God has perfect timing. Don't give in. Don't give up. Don't quit. 
praise God and pray to him and he'll see it through. I've been praying about a situation with someone. I've been interceding and interceding. And I woke up this morning. I guess it was around 3. I'm not sure exactly what time it was. And God gave me a dream. He spoke to me. It's, it's one of the few dreams I had. And this particular individual I was praying for was cornered by a 13-foot python. And he couldn't go anywhere. And when I opened the door, I dove in front and to stop it, and then I knew that person was all right, and I was all right. When I woke up, I said, God, what are you saying? Well, in Acts chapter 16, when the little girl kept shouting to Paul, hey, these are the men of the Most High God, and it says Paul discerned something was right, something was wrong. He said she had a spirit of divination. Divination there means python. She had a spirit of python. And I knew right away it was a spirit of python that was cornering somebody. And my inner diving in the middle was obviously intercession, intercessory prayer and interceding in their behalf. I want to tell you, don't give up on prayer. And I woke up, and immediately I was so excited. I, 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 was, I almost shouted out of the bed. I kept waking up on and off be, between that time, and I'd sleep for a while and wake up. And I was so excited because I thought, well, praise God. I've got the authority over that spirit. That spirit's got to go. What is the spirit of Python? It is that spirit that tries to suffocate you from the spirit of Almighty God. It, it, what does a Python do? It doesn't, it doesn't inject poison and venom into you. It squeezes around. It squeezes the breath out of you. It devoids you of getting oxygen thing. I want to tell you that person is going to feel the Spirit of God. <laughs> that person's going to be able to breathe and enjoy life again. That depression's going to go. The Spirit of God's going to come. They are, man, it's free. I want to tell you, when God speaks to you, man, it'll put a skip in your steps. Somebody say amen. amen. Now, whatever you're praying and believing for, I want to tell you, keep standing on the Word. Keep the faith because Jesus has perfect timing. Woo! I want to tell you, Jesus is coming back to this earth soon. My dad's parents were born in the 1890s. I want you to think about what my grandmother saw who lived from 1897 to 1983. She was born and raised very poor, little farm in Georgia, no power, no nothing. A shanty of a shack called a house. She went from that to as a little girl hearing about something called a Model A automobile. A chariot that could be powered by something called an engine and run without horses. Think about how they would explain that to a little girl. She went to see war wars and huge ships like Titanic sink to the bottom of the ocean. To all of a sudden, something called an airplane flying in the air. What is that? To hearing rumors that one day man would fly to the moon and in her lifetime see them land on the moon. Can you imagine the things my grandmother saw in her lifetime? Well, I want to tell you, she went from outhouses to indoor plumbing to walk-in and horses and buggies to space shuttles going we are in an unprecedented amount of time, in an unprecedented amount of time, in an unprecedented time, seeing God do amazing things. Think about the advances in technology that we've seen in my lifetime. 
I'm 46 years old. Cell phones and social media. And you can get on the phone to somebody in Saudi Arabia or China and FaceTime and immediately see them and have a conversation with them. It's unbelievable what is happening. Listen, when I was in high school, you didn't have cell phones. When I was in high school in the late 80s, if somebody had a cell phone, it was about this big. And then the antenna was about this big. It looked like some kind of military bag. And nobody had one. I, had, I was something because I had a beeper. I had a beeper. Somebody could. I know. Let me just help you millennials here for a second because you have no idea what I'm talking about. Somebody would call your number, which was a pager, and then they would enter their number. It would pop up on your little beeper, and it would show the seven-digit number, and that was your cue to stop at a payphone <laughs> and call that number, which was their house number, because nobody had a cell phone, because they wanted to talk to you. And if you were really something else as a high school student... You knew how to punch in numbers so that when you flip the pager around backwards, you could send a written statement. How many know I'm talking? Some of you are laughing because you did it. Others of you that are like 25, you're like, what's he talking about? What's a pager? How does that work? Think about the things that I've seen just in my lifetime, the technological advances and and so forth. Think about the language barriers. Did you know there's no language barrier in the known world? What are you talking about? All somebody has to do, everybody, there are more cell phones in the world than people, by the way. <laughs> and did you know all they have to do is hit Google Translate? In a matter of seconds, everybody has, can have the gospel at their fingertips now. Google Translate, other apps, translate from their language, your language to their language, no matter what it is, they can understand what you're saying in a matter of seconds. Listen, in a matter of seconds, the entire world right now can hear the gospel message, can understand it, can see it on a video, can hear it on audio, can translate it in, in written form on their cell phone. What am I trying to say? Just as we saw unbelievable advances at the time of the birth of Jesus' first coming, guess what? We have seen unbelievable technological and other advances in this world. And guess who's coming back a second time? Very soon. Woo! Somebody say Jesus. Get ready because the world is, he is coming. Somebody say amen. Now for a few moments, I want to talk about three, very quickly, three groups of people here that represent something special, a message. Those who came to see the newborn redeemer, those who were chosen to witness this extraordinary event in the history of mankind and why they're important. Group number one is Joseph and Mary. Everybody say Joseph and Mary. And that leads me to point two, and that is this. God uses ordinary people. Poke your neighbor and say, that's good news for you. Amen. He uses ordinary people to accomplish extraordinary purposes. Look what Luke chapter 1, verse 46 through 48 says. Mary responded, oh, how my soul praises the Lord, how my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he took notice of the lowly servant girl, and from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Now, I want you on the next scripture to show you Joseph's response and reaction to Mary. He didn't quite see it the same way she did. 
Matthew 1.19, Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. Can you imagine Joseph and Mary's conversation before the angel came to him at night and spoke to him? You're pregnant by who? I was born at night, Mary, but I wasn't born last night. And can you imagine that conversation, how it went? The point is, look through the Bible and the history of the Bible of how God used ordinary people who make mistakes to do extraordinary things. There are no perfect people in the Bible. And aren't you glad that your sin and your messes weren't in the pages of the Bible for people to preach about you? Amen. I mean, Noah got drunk and naked. Abraham was too old and a liar. Isaac was a daydreamer, a liar, and he played favorites with his kids. Jacob was a liar and deceiver. Leah was real ugly and manipulative. Joseph was abused and sold into slavery. Moses was a murderer and a stutterer. Gideon was afraid. Samson was rebellious and a womanizer. Rahab was a prostitute and a Gentile at that time, not good. Jeremiah and Timothy were too young. David committed adultery and was a murderer. Elijah was suicidal. Jonah ran from God. Naomi was a widow. Job went bankrupt. John the Baptist ate bugs and was straight up weird. Peter denied Jesus Christ, cut off ears and cursed. The disciples fell asleep while praying. Martha worried about everything. The Samaritan woman was divorced more than once and now living with someone not her husband. Zacchaeus was too small. Paul was too religious. Timothy had an ulcer, and Lazarus was dead, and a partridge in a pear tree. Here's my point in this. God uses ordinary people, folks. We open the pages of the Bible, and we think superhuman. We think Superman and Spider-Man did this stuff. No, they were ordinary people like you and I. They put their underwear on like we do, one leg at a time. Somebody say amen. These ordinary folks know, knew they needed a Savior and a Redeemer. They represented the common ordinary folks in a world that needed a Savior. They were ordinary people like you and I. Jesus uses ordinary people like you and I. Jesus saves ordinary people like you and I. Jesus will use us to do super and extraordinary things that we go, and wow, man, I can't believe he just did that. As a matter of fact, we don't have to be the smartest. We don't have to be the most brilliant. We don't have to be the most talented. We don't have to be the most popular. We just need to be willing to submit and yield to a holy God to say I'm just an ordinary guy I'm an ordinary gal but if you want you can work through me Woo! aren't you glad about that so God uses ordinary people the second group of people I want to hit is the wise men everybody say the wise men now these wise men were the professors and the philosophers of their day from Arabia listen they were professional men they were highly trained in medicine History, religion, astronomy, prophecy. I mean, they, they were very well educated. They were highly influential men 
who came to Jerusalem. Listen, we read the story and we think three guys showed up from a thousand miles away. Uh Uh-uh. They had an entourage. They had military escorts. They had servants. It was a massive amount of people that came with them. Now, the Bible highlights the three wise men, but rest assured, it was a group with them. They were led by his star, which we'll get to see tomorrow night, and brought gifts to the Savior. First, they brought themselves. Then they presented gold, which represented his kingship. Amen. And his royalty. They they brought in frankincense, which represented his priesthood, and myrrh, which pointed to his suffering and death. These wise men represented the intelligent, the astute, the higher ups in society that also needed a savior and a redeemer. Somebody say good amen to that. They they represented the high social class of people in the world who also need a savior. I'm talking about the high class people that you and I could never run shoulders to shoulders with and probably will never see. And what does that tell me? Point number three is this. Everyone needs to be saved. Whether you're ordinary, whether you're the brightest Albert Einstein or the smartest person in the world, whether you live in a high class society like Bill Gates and some of them, it don't matter. We all need saving. Somebody say amen. No matter how high your IQ is, no matter how much money you have, no matter how powerful you are or think you are, we all need a Savior. Woo! Because Romans 3.10 says, there is none righteous, no, not one. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, for the wages or payment of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. No matter how high, no matter how mighty, no matter how lofty, no matter how smart, no matter how popular, no matter how rich anybody ever becomes, everybody needs help. Salvation. And it's possible because of Christmas. Jesus coming to the earth. The third group of people I want to hit is the shepherds. Everybody say the shepherds. shepherds. Now the shepherds at the time of Christ's birth were the social outcast. They were the people when you drive at three in the morning into the red light district and skid row, you don't you want to lock the cars and run the red lights. These are not the people you want to rub shoulders with in the middle of the night in a dark alley. They were outcasts and bad news. Constantly moving and traveling with the sheep. No home life. They were wanderers. They were drifters in a society that was settling down. They had a reputation of being thieves. Uh, Brother Dale, you wouldn't want them on the Sunday morning offering count team. No, you would not. They didn't look good. They didn't smell good. They were crude and harsh in their communications. They were often unsophisticated and uneducated. They were barbarians of their day. I mean, that's just the way it was. But you know what they teach us in my final point? That Jesus, number four, accepts everyone. They were religiously unclean. Jewish tradition stated that you had to undergo certain rituals and attend certain festivals to be considered clean. Well, their constant migration and the problems with the sheep and changing their schedule, often they missed the prerequisites to be clean. So for, in fact, they were seen so low as a society, Jake, that if a religious person even touched a shepherd, they were now considered to be unclean. I mean, these guys were the lowest of the lows. So they would get looks when they did go to the temple. Some of you mamas in here would have seen them and pulled the babies close by. Don't get near those people. 
because they got mohawks. And the bottom half of that mohawk is green, lime green, and the top half is pink, and it's got purple polka dots. And they got chains from their noses to their nipples and to other unmentionable body parts. They got piercings and tattoos and, whoa, get the children, hide the women, because, man, the shepherds have shown up in town. That's the kind of people we're talking about. They weren't exactly up to date with the latest trends and fashions. They were outcast. They were overlooked. They were ousted by all the religious people of the day who thought they were better than them. But they were taught that they were not good enough. They were looked down on. I mean, I can go on and on and on about it. But I've got a question. To whom did the angels first announce the good news? Was it the church folks? No. Was it the ordinary people? No. Was it the Pharisees and Sadducees? No. Was it the government leaders? No. Was it the king? No. Was it the high priest? No. Was it the wise men and the astute? No. The good news was first announced to the overlooked, to the outcast, to the looked down upon. Woo! I'm preaching to somebody. That way God and God alone will receive all the glory. Woohoo! It was like God said, yeah, I know you're smart and brilliant, wise men. And I know you ordinary folks kind of, you know, just the majority of you. But I'm going to pick the social outcasts. I'm going to send my angels to tell them so they can go to Mary and Joseph. I want to tell you God will use unlikely means to convey his message of salvation because it silences the so-called experts and makes the message available to all of us. 1 Corinthians 1, 20 and 21 says this. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the, the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. And a little further down in the same chapter, chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians, verse 26 through 29, look what it says. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Whew. Boy, if that don't make you want to jump up and shout. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. The shepherds represented all the people in a society and in society that were looked down on and seen as outcasts but also needed a savior and a redeemer. And the point I want to make here is that Jesus accepts us just the way we are. Whether you're in high society or an average ordinary person or in the low bottom of the totem pole, Jesus accepts everyone who will turn to him. We don't need to clean up first. He'll do that for us. We just need to surrender and yield to him. Listen, he specializes in taking the messes we have made of our lives and turning it into something beautiful. How many can bear witness by that? Come on, just wave your hands. Just wave it like you just don't care. Hallelujah. In conclusion, these three groups, I want you to focus for just the next one minute. Listen, listen to this. These three groups, 
that are associated with the Christmas story represent all people who need to be saved. Whether ordinary people like Joseph and Mary, the carpenter, the blue collar guy and his wife, whether the higher ups in a student society like the wise men, whether the social outcasts and overlooked like the shepherds, they represent all groups of all people at Christ's birth and let us know that all people need a savior. Every one of us, no matter how much money or how little, how smart or how dumb, how good looking or how ugly, it doesn't matter. None of that matters. All that matters is have we accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. The meaning of Christmas is this, folks. Our Savior came to the earth, wrapped in flesh, to become our salvation. Thank God for Christmas. Aren't you glad he accepts everyone? No matter where we fit in the caste system, so to speak, he accepts us. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Perhaps there's someone under the sound of my voice or watching through our online campus. And you say, Pastor, I certainly I fit into all people. I mean, the category of people that showed up at Jesus' birth or when he was young, it's, it's astounding, God. And, 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 and Pastor, I need to accept Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior, maybe for the first time, or maybe you're in here and you've wandered away. So, man, I need to return to Jesus. If that's you, I'd like for you to slip your hand in the air. I'm not going to ask you to come down. I just want to pray with you. God bless you. I see that hand. Is there anybody else? Maybe you're online and you're watching. If that's you, I want you to text the word to believe. They're going to have a number on the screen. Just text the word believe. We're going to reach out to you. For the sake of the one person that raised their hand, I would like for everybody to pray this out loud with me that, that will join in this prayer. Let's just a simple prayer. Heavenly Father, I ask you to forgive me of all my sins. I realize I need a Savior. And I thank you Jesus, that you accept everyone. So here I am, Lord. I'm yours. I repent of my sin, which means I turn from them, and I turn to you. And I thank you for your word that says, whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. <laughs> Can we give Jesus a big hand clap of praise? Can we worship God? Hallelujah! Come on, give Jesus a hand clap of praise. Never forget, no matter what, we all need to be saved and we all need a, a Savior. Hallelujah. If this is your first time with us, we thank you for being with us. I think Holly's going to come and end the service. And uh, thank you so much. Merry Christmas to you and your family. We love you. Praise the Lord. Hey, if you're new with us, we want you to text the word CONNECT to the number that you see here on the screen, the 513-586-4440. If you're new with us, we really want to connect with you. We want to get a chance to help you get plugged into what we have going on here and find community. So people, so many people are tired 
of being alone, being locked in their house with all this COVID stuff. And we've got small groups and we have so many ways that we can help you connect and find your purpose. We want to do that for you. So text the word connect to the number that you see on the screen. And uh, this is our time as we close out our service that we get to give. So if you would prepare and be ready for this, you can uh, give by giving online. Here's the information on the screen at thebridgecincy.com slash give. Or you can text to give. That's very simple to the number that you see on your screen. We would like you to find, to do this. This is a form of worship. Giving to God is a form of worship. We give in many ways. And financially is one of the ways that we do that. So... This is a time as we leave. If you're in person in the service in here, you can also give. There'll be boxes in the lobby on your way out of the door. The Lord bless you and keep you, cause his face to shine upon you. The Lord lift up your countenance and give you peace in Jesus' name. You are dismissed.